There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looks like it's going to be a good weekend. Who knows, though? Who knows? It's uh-huh. always like this for Memorial Weekend. People are just happy if they've got the three days off and they got an invite to go somewhere. There you, you go. Um, I have to tell you, so I call my dad yesterday to just see if he got back from Cabo because I had heard they'd had a missed their connection, had to spend the night in Chicago. Oh, no. On the way home. Okay. So I wanted to just check in with him and uh, call, talk to my stepmom. And this was last night about 7. And I chatted with her, and I said, okay, I'll talk to Dad. And she goes, oh, he's at bike night. I said, holy crap, how cold is it in Duluth? And she goes, oh, he put on his chaps and his heated vest. He couldn't wait to get to bike night. Oh, So my dad is riding his motorcycle. Yes. He's had four chemos, and, uh, you know, this was his biggest wish, is that he be able to ride this summer. Yeah. He's thinking if he feels up to it, Sturgis could be in his... uh, So, you know, I'm just like, way to go, Dad. But my dad has always had the most unbelievable cold weather stamina. Like, he can ride his motorcycle, you know, if he's got the right gear. But about maybe like 10 years ago, I think the kids, we chipped in to buy him a, a vest, a heated vest that you plug in. Oh my! Well, that is a nice those heated vests. Because are nice. when yeah. you're, it's your burr. burr. Put your hand out the window if you're driving right now, and even feel how, like that, like this would be kind of whether you would have your chaps on and a leather jacket. It'd be cold on a bike. Oh, freezing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so it's I was, cold walking. Yeah, I was, I was happy. <laughs> I was happy that uh, he was at uh, bike night. But we have big. Today's your anniversary. Today is. Do we have a happy anniversary, anniversary baby. baby? Got you on my mind. Why do we always sing? Because because that's always a good one to sing. It, it is. It I is. know. So yes, Casey and I yesterday. I had the realization on Tuesday. I thought I better look and see what date it is because, you know, going to Cabo, I didn't really, you know, I knew the day I was flying down there and flying back. But I'm like, I feel like, you know, oh, yeah, May 27th. Casey and I got married on a Wednesday, May 27th, 1998. I wonder if he'll remember. So and I one year we both totally forgot. Right. And um he, you know, I had told him, you know, several years, I am, it's, you are so sweet. You always write me cards or, you mm-hmm. know, I, don't ever worry if you forget about it. But yes, last night I said to him, I said, so I, I got a plan for his Friday night. And he goes, what's the plan for? And I said, darling, we've been married 24 years starting tomorrow. Isn't that something? He goes, oh my God. And they they went on their first date and were married within three months. Oh, geez, I know. Well, uh-huh. you know what? He um, 
Casey wrote me, he didn't, because he forgot, so mm-hmm. he, didn't get me, he didn't go to Avalon and get me one of his funny cards, but he wrote me a romantic two-post posty note. Very. And he said, uh, he said, darling, it doesn't even feel like 24 years. That's that's how good it's been. Isn't that one? That's just so great. And I kind of feel that way, too, that's about so him. Great. And then he goes and goes to Costco with the list I made for him and clambered out on the roof and did a hot man Schneider thing and put in an air conditioner. So I was just like, I was just having the feels. Oh my gosh. Honest people. Doing manly things and going to Costco so I don't have to go. Yes. Go Casey. Isn't that fun? (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, I know. I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's a long time. It was seven years. But it doesn't feel like it. No. Yeah. Seven years we knew each other before you guys went on your first date. Really? So you did you guys hang out with Casey prior to that? No. When I met Lori and we first started working together, she was getting divorced from her first one. Oh, okay. And then you met and married the second one. Right, very quickly. And then I kept my brothers away. I offered up my cousins in L.A. to Lori. Yes, you did. Because Lori would go to L.A. a lot. And she said, I've got two out there. Choose. Choose which one you want. (laughs) And then it ends up... I don't know where I lived in Edina at the time, and you grabbed the phone for me because Casey wanted help. He was taking his kids to Disney World. Yes. And we were in the travel world at Carlson Companies, and you grabbed the phone. Now, if I'm going to help you, you're going to take me on a date. I did. And Bill and I went on your first date. Mm-hmm. To the my, bro- my brother showed up looking like um, a gunslinger. A gunslinger. He had a long <laughs> leather duster. Coat oh. on, and then those heels, cowboy boots, those half boots, you know, the, with the pointy, pointy. Uh-huh. I took the coat off of him right away <laughs> and put it on the stool because yep. I thought he's really cute, but man, I hate this coat. <laughs> I'm <laughs> expecting pistols. And then in the process of you getting with Casey, you were still dating someone else. He oh, yeah. asked you to marry him. You said no to him. Then Casey asked you to marry him, and you ended up being married in three months. I know that's awesome. And and yeah. And, and then and then we started on the radio like in 2002. So Casey and I had been married four years. Yep. And a year later, he got in the motorcycle accident. And that Change was careers. probably the worst part of that whole two and a, oh, two and a half, three years of all of that. And How long he, did he have to recover from all that? Oh my, like he was three in years. the hospital bed in our living room for two and a half years. Oh we had my. to go to therapy to put ourselves back together because we hated each other. Oh, when you're stuck together that much. Well, and no. also because it's a big adjust. It was a yeah. huge adjustment for him to lose the job he loved and, you know... Taking Vicodin for pain. Oh, I've been there. And, yeah, you it know, makes he, you a different person. It makes yeah. you a different person. So, you know, luckily Julia's mom, my dear mother-in-law, recognized there were red flags with us because you know the thing with the. Remember when she had the drummer come over and oh, do drum therapy? Oh no, that was the shaman. Oh, the we sh- had a shaman <laughs> and Casey. I was just having a flashback. <laughs> And oh, I yes. played the drum, oh, and yeah. Casey told me if I ever told anyone about it. And no, of and, course, and, years later, I did tell, but I did keep my eyes closed and I kept thing. But we were f- retrieving the spirit of his pelvis. But your mom, yes, she recognized yes. that, like, we the red flags that we weren't liking each other. And I'll just say this as somebody from a family with you know multiple marriages and. I'd already been divorced twice. Your brother was annoying me so much. I liked him so little. I just thought, ha, what's one more divorce? I don't care. That's how, like, at the <laughs> yeah. end of our rope, 
I was with him, and then we go to this wonderful guy, this therapist at your mom, and then Casey and I like immediately started bonding over our utter dread of, of going, going to, to counseling and doing the work and doing homework. Uh-huh. And then after like two and a half months, the the counselor said to me, "You and I and, and him, we're done." And then he looked at Casey and he says, "You and I have some work to do." Isn't that something? So I mean, you know, Casey became a better man, and I guess I became a better woman through there the help go. of having this radio show. I would just I would drive from Regions Hospital. And get here like 15 mm-hmm. minutes before the show, and we would just laugh and forget about everything. You know, about everything. In and our own lives. In yes. our own lives. We really it was, did. That, that really, it was good therapy. It was good therapy uh-huh. for all of us. I know? think so. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so thank you for the uh, anniversary wishes. Yeah, congratulations. That yeah. is huge. Yeah, I know. It is huge. I remember your three marriages were less than my one at one point in time. Like, oh, yeah. way less. By oh, like yeah. 15 years. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, boy. yeah. I got I caught mean, up. It was so unbelievable. That yeah. was just a whirlwind when all that went down and all of a sudden, you're going to be my sister-in-law, too? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just crazy. Oh, yeah. I burned through, I just burned through, you know, relationships very quickly. The flame, you know, yes. leaped and... Unbelievable. Yeah, but with Casey, it just, you know, I like him so much. I know. There's a lot to like, and I he feels the same way, which is just adorable. Yeah, thank you, Julia. Mm-hmm. All right, listen, we come back. It's our story we can't get enough of. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Friday. Um, this doesn't happen very often where we, uh, like, enthusiastically talk about a couple of sports teams that we don't even really, like, pay attention to or follow, so... This happened um, yesterday, and the Yankees and the Tampa Rays uh, team teamed up together, tweeting facts on gun violence while their teams were playing each other. And the Tampa Bay Rays put out a statement about how upset they were about what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and the kids and the teachers that lost their lives. And, you know, enough with thoughts and prayers that they wanted to... Um, make a difference, make a difference, educate people about gun violence, make a contribution to every town, which I believe is the Sandy Hook organization. The idea is let's try and outraise the money that the NRA gives to, um, you know, Congress people and senators yep. uh, to buy their loyalty. And it was really amazing. And even they during the um, like go to cut to commercial, they were showing Facts and statistics about gun violence. Basically, those, up on the jumbotrons yes. at the New York Yankee games yes. and at the Tampa Bay yes. baseball games. And during during the game and doing it on Twitter. And basically, in one night, and and they're continuing to do it today, tweeting different facts about gun violence. They've done more to address this than the GOP has done in the last three years. The, mm-hmm. the senators that are holding us uh, a hostage and calling attention to a solvable crisis that could be fixed with a little political will. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but when the the assault rifles first came into being okayed to be sold, yes. it was the NRA who said, we'll do background checks mm-hmm. and have uh, limits on the amount of ammunition. They came up with all this stuff because they... They knew they were kicking in a dangerous door, so they actually, that was their idea, and now right. they're dead set against it. I mean, just talk, how fakakta is that? It's very fakakta. Yeah. Okay, and so, like, here's some of the things, um, you know, like uh, Tampa Bay Rays, 
here's a fact. Every day, more than 110 Americans are killed with guns and more than 200 are shot and injured. 58% of American adults or someone they care for have experienced gun violence. Um, I mean, it's just like when an assault weapon is used in a mass shooting, it results in six times as many people shot as when another gun is used. An average of 4,500 veterans die every day by suicide using handguns. Um, you know, so there does every three hours a young black man dies by uh, gun violence. Access to a gun triples the rate that causes uh, risk of death by suicide. You know, that's a right, fact. Right, right, right. Firearms. Now, this is the one that just is. Think about this, people. Firearms are the leading cause of death for American children and teenagers. Wow. Okay. That's insane. Is that? It's terrible. It's, it's, and so the Tampa Bay Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays are doing this. Um, great move. Their whole social media, uh, their pitcher, Brooks Rayleigh, he went to elementary school at Rob Elementary. He did. Okay, got it. And um, they, it's, it's, they're, it's just amazing because I think maybe that's the thing we haven't highlighted what the facts are about gun violence and gotten other people involved. And really, it is like I saw in GMA, you know, um, uh, George was just like expressed, he's just like, Americans don't agree on anything, yet 90% of people want red flag laws, background checks. Right. And it doesn't make sense uh, to, to, you know, let you be able to buy an assault rifle at 18 when you can't rent a car until you're 25. Right. And you can't go in a bar until you're 21. He's just like, I don't understand why we wouldn't have more politicians that would be like, oh, this Camping is something. It, it makes sense. It's an obvious. It's an obvious yeah. fix. Mm-hmm. And I think that, on top of the outrage that we're finding out about what went down and how long it took the oh. um, the police to respond. Oh, that 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 and the, was and the kids are calling the parents and calling nine one one, saying, "Please send them in." I mean, it's just the whole thing is horrific. It's horrific, and. Um, when you bring up that, right, the leading cause of children is, you know... Teenagers and, te- and kids, that's the leading cause of death is guns. It's terrible. Yeah, and um, you can text ACT okay. to 64433 to demand action. That's every town, which I, I'm, I gotta, I'm pretty sure that's the Sandy Hook. It's, no, it's a movement of parents, students, survivors, educators, gun owners, and concerned citizens... Um, trying to fight to end gun violence. And that's who the Tampa Bay... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. 
Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. They raised, gave 50000 to. Right. They said it's, you know, but if every team, if every person, if you can contribute a little bit. Right. Outraise the money that the NRA which at their convention that started today, they were greeted as people came in, uh, kids Standing wearing with- signs, uh, pictures of the kids at Rob Elementary School right, that, that said, it- am I next? Oh, wow. And walkouts right. happened at Vault Falls Church, Virginia, because they had their shooting. The kids, the, the, the college kids walked out and laid down across the football mm-hmm. field. I mean, I really... It's the assault. It's just it, we're, it, 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 yeah. it. We've been numb to it too long. Mm-hmm. I feel sick that it's taken this. It mm-hmm. seems like it should have ended when Sandy Hook, you know, happened mm-hmm. with 22. Well, hopefully this yeah. will create some action. Tell me the number again. Okay, yes, thank text, you. Thank you. Text ACT, so ACT, to 64433. And you will get some things to sign some petitions, right. but they just... We need to get loud. We need to um, continue to call Republican senators. Call Mitch McConnell's office. Call Lindsey Graham. Call that 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 idiot Ted Cruz. Call Marco Rubio. You don't have to be a constituent constituent to make noise because it is basically we need ten. And like you said, this is an American issue. It's not a political issue. It's an American issue. Amanda Gorman, the poet, Mm -hmm. you know. She wrote um, One Nation Under Gun Mm. was one of her one line because it feels that, well, guns certainly have more right than your uterus. Mm, They do. Um, Mm -hmm. Guns, you know. Right. and, 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 you know, and if you think about it, I don't know. I don't know how this has gotten to be anything. Um, I, I guess it's just the money that the NRA, they said, no, if you take our money, you have to, you know, right. support everything that we support. But right. yet 90 percent of people who and I th- even own guns. Right. And I think when bills are going to get passed, people clump in so much other stuff with it. Yeah. Because I mean, in the negotiating part of it, that. It loses no, this are, gun reform this, thing has been just passed. been sitting. It's been passed no by Congress. Anything. Yep. It, it, Mitch McConnell won't bring it to the floor. Let's call him. Yeah, let's call him. Mm-hmm. Let's right. get loud. It's, it's just but good. Go for good for the Yankees. Good for the Tampa, Tampa Bay, Bay Rays. Rays. I hope other sports teams Same. do it's it. Amazing and and, and corporations. And it's just enough. Yeah. I, I these these senators should wear uh, blazers with patches like NASCAR with all the people they take money from, so we know exactly what's going on. <laughs> Most of them Good would point. have big NRA patches right in the back of their jacket. There you go. <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to talk music. We're yeah. going to go to the Bob in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Bob Dylan Center with John Breen. We'll okay. be right back. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Friday. Maybe you're driving up north, so you're going to be able to just settle back, or maybe you're going west or east. John Bream is joining us, and uh, John is with the Star Tribune Music Critic. And, John, it was so much fun to visit the new Bob Dylan Center with you via your stories in the Star Tribune. How does it feel? How does it feel? It feels good. Yeah, so... John, we posted your article because it was just such a great... um, How many days were you in Tulsa, Oklahoma, covering the museum opening? I was in Tulsa for a whole week. A whole week? How fun! Yeah, it wasn't just all the Bob Dylan um, Center. 
the Bob, as I like to call I like, it. I also went uh-huh. to the Woody Guthrie Center. Okay. And did some touring around town, saw the Oral Roberts University campus and the Praying Hands and the Black Wall Street. And the place that, if you're going to go to Tulsa, you got to put this on your itinerary. Okay. The church. It was an old Methodist church that in 1972, Leanne Russell converted into a recording studio. Then his uh, guitar player owned it for 20 years, and then it went kind of uh, on hard times. And now a woman named Teresa Knox, she's a historic preservationist and entrepreneur, spent $10 million renovating the place. So it's open as a studio. It's open for tours. She's got Leon Russell artifacts, and the place is amazing. She's collected microphones from all over the world, David Bowie's microphones he used in Berlin. Oh but my the gosh. thing you're going to love most yeah. is Leon Russell. This is a multi-story church, of course. Leon Russell um, ha- had a disability. People thought he had polio, but I guess he actually had MS. Mm-hmm. So they built a restroom for him just off of the studio. And he had just come back from a tour of Europe, and he fell in love with bidets. Oh. So they have his avocado green bidet <laughs> that he had installed there back in the 70s. Oh, my gosh. So there's a lot. Record in this room. You know, every room is sonically um, proof for sound, and they've got outlets so you can plug microphones in, in every room. Cool. Maybe we That's... should try and do a boondoggle and mm-hmm. go to Tulsa and do a live broadcast from our week and bring you with us, uh, um, John Bream. I'm glad to go with you. Yeah, so there's a lot to do there. I've never been. Have you? I don't think so. No. My first time, too. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, so you have Woody Guthrie. You've got this, uh, what is the church called? The church. Just the church? The church. The, the church. The church is, is called the church. church. And then Black Wall Street, of course, you know, the Tulsa, you know, the the history of, of that city, which which I don't think I knew until I watched that, The Watchmen. Yeah, no, it's a it's, you know terrible thing when the right. black area of town that was thriving mm-hmm. was burnt down in a riot. Yeah, hundred years ago. Right. Tulsa's ten hours and twelve minutes from the Twin Cities. Uh, how'd you get there, John? Did you fly? I flew about ten hours and twelve minutes. <laughs> there's no direct flights, and I had a transfer in yeah. Dallas. Other people who flew from here transferred in Atlanta. It's, oh. It's, yeah, it's, Chicago. It's a roundabout to get there. Yeah, sure. okay. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so let's talk about. Um, you call it the Bob in your story, the Bob Dylan Center. Um, yeah, they ha- call it BDC. I mean, why mm. do everyone want to call everything an acronym? Is it BDC, CDB? It's what, laziness. What is, it's, know, call it the Bob. I agree, right, John. I agree, John. Uh, the Bob. I I really like that. Well, how how did it feel to visit the new Bob Dylan Center? It felt Bobalicious. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's all about Dylan, of course, and they've got everything from the archives where you can do research and see his, uh, his original manuscripts that, you know, handwritten lyrics to songs that you can look at with white gloves. You have to make an appointment to see the stuff that's in the archives. But the, the displays in the museum are, are quite exciting and quite revealing. The first floors, you walk into a room and they've got interviews with him from the No Direction home video. Some of them are outtakes the Martin Scorsese film that was on PBS several years ago. Mm-hmm. And then the next room is like a history of Bob Dylan timeline, and it's got highlights. And then they've got little uh, kiosks or displays that are multimedia devoted to six different songs. 
So you can see original lyrics. You can hear versions of the songs. You can see the uh, leather jacket he wore when he went electric at Newport Folk Festival in 1965. You can see the acoustic guitar that Kevin Odegaard played on Blood on the Tracks in Minneapolis in December 74. So there's lots of things to see. And then the second story has this entire archive wall, 92 items from his personal collection. So there's like Christmas cards from all three of the four Beatles. Oh, wow. wow. Letters that Johnny Cash wrote to him. Um, You know, different backstage passes, um, outtakes from films. There was a little bio that he typed up um, to to be distributed when he played Chicago for the first time, and it was half of it was made up stuff, but it was in his own hand, you know, his mm-hmm. typing. Mm-hmm. There's letters between him and Archibald MacLeish when they tried to write a uh, musical together in 1969. So there's a lot of really personal stuff. Then there's a jukebox that Elvis Costello curated, 162 songs. Only half of them are Dylan songs, and the others are songs that either influenced Dylan or other artists covering Dylan songs. So you even get a couple from Elvis, a couple from his wife, Diana Krall, Bonnie Raitt, all kinds of other people. That's so clever. That is, is. like, so clever. That would be so cool at a club or something, to have a jukebox curated by him with all the influences. I'm I'm wondering if that Elvis song is Tomorrow is a Long Time, (laughs) the cover of the Bob Dylan song. No, Bob Dylan said it was the favorite, supposedly said it was the favorite cover that anyone has done of one of his songs. Um, It... Someone posted the list on Spotify of okay. what, what's in the Elvis jukebox. But I got to interview Elvis. He uh, had a little impromptu press conference for about six media members. We couldn't find a conference room, oh. so we're interviewing him in the back hallway oh my gosh. Of, of the venue, and we're surrounded by all these tackle boxes and equipment boxes for installation. And I'm thinking, like, you know, this, this was kind of appropriate because he uh, – Elvis said, you know, one thing that Dylan exhibit proves is a song is never done because you could see multiple drafts of different songs. Mm. And and Elvis talked about how songs change every time you perform it. It could be a different song. Yeah. And, and then and, later that night, he did Like a Rolling Stone, you know, in, in concert at Kane's Ballroom. Yeah, Kane's I, Ballroom is another cool place you got to go to in Tulsa. Is, this is, is, there, is that where old. we see live music? It's old ballroom where uh, Bob Wills, the Texas swing guy, used to play. Okay. And everyone who's anybody has played there. It's, it's a really cool old ballroom. Okay, yeah. Found. I saw your, you were, um, I think you were actually taking pictures of, of that on Twitter. I feel like I was there for some of that. Uh, yes, I tweeted a, a few videos out from uh, the Elvis Costello show. Yeah. Patty Smith was an amazing show. Um, Mavis Staples also played there. It was outstanding. I was in the second row for all three of those shows. Oh, wow. That was pretty special. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. You know, one of the things is I'm listening to this, and, and when we go to museums and exhibits, one of something, you know, kind of our memorabilia has always been ticket stubs or backstage passes or posters, and now that everything's gone digital, I mean, you have to pay extra to even get a stub to go to anything. How? I mean, I feel like that's a big part that's changing without us wanting it to change for convenience. I agree with you totally about that. I think people always thought of ticket stubs as souvenirs. I know people have framed them. I know people mm-hmm. that make them into art sculptures or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a big deal, and I, I do think that's something that's missing and, you know, is it, why is it? Because it's more efficient for them to 
do tickets digitally? I don't know. You know, you can still pass your tickets on from phone to phone. Right, but so you can't print. Not eliminating scalpers or right. know, retail. Yeah. Um, John, have you heard? Has John, has Bob Dylan been to the Bob? Bob has not been to the Bob. He hasn't. Uh, no, he was in Tulsa in April. He did a show um, at the Tulsa Theater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd think, well, Bob, why don't you stop by and see what became of your archives that you sold for 20 million bucks to this mm-hmm. foundation in Tulsa. Bob, instead of going to the Bob, went to the minor league baseball game, <laughs> the Tulsa Drillers. I love it. What a great name of a team. Did, did yeah, the- and then there's a, another thing you can see in Tulsa is a... Um, sculpture of the driller. It's the world's tallest sculpture of a per- person. <laughs> Don't ask me how tall it is, but it, his his shoes are size eighty four, quadruple D. Oh, that's a that's a big foot. Do you think? I mean, just for us, because I think a lot of us were wondering why didn't this happen in Minnesota? Did Bob Dylan take his artifacts to like <clears throat> the university or some of the museums here and say, "Hey, I'm selling this. Are you interested?" Well, I don't think he did an extensive, uh, you know, call for proposal kind right. of thing. Um, no RFP. I think what happened is there was this uh, rare books broker in New York who knew of the Woody Guthrie Center in Tulsa, and he connected Dylan's people with the people behind the Woody Guthrie Center, which is the George Kaiser Family Foundation. George Kaiser, I talked to him briefly at a reception before the gala opening, and he made his money in all. Everyone makes their money in all down oil, yeah. in Tulsa. It was a big oil-rich um, city for years and years and years, which is why they've got so many mansions and so many cool archi- architectural buildings. Mm. And, it was, and Kaiser's also a banker, so he took his money, and he's invested it. And when I asked him, you know, what's important to him, he says, number one is the children's fund. That's the most important thing that he invests in, in children in the community. And then the rest of the, the donations and the things he does, he's, he helped renovate a park called The Gathering. And, you know, he helped um, renovate other areas of Tulsa. But the most important thing is helping out the children. And he just so happened to put up the money for Woody Guthrie's archives and Bob Dylan's archives. And that those two buildings are in an old existing warehouse. They did not build new buildings for these centers. And, and the Guthrie and the Dillon are two doors down in the same old warehouse building. It was a paper warehouse, yeah. big old brick building. That's I cool. feel like you have just been the travel guide for, for Tulsa, Tulsa, and I want to go there. And how brilliant to bring more things there for people to go there. You yeah. know, this George Kaiser. And again, we did post um, John's story to the Lori and Julia page about visiting the new Bob Dylan Center just to get some of these things. And um, all right. I can give you a list of restaurants, too, if you need it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you Just really give us one. Write us another story. Yeah. No okay, kidding. give us one restaurant. Okay, this is the most unusual restaurant. It's, it was like a speakeasy. It's called The Bull in the Alley. You walk down this alley. There's no sign on the door. There's just a metal sculpture of a small bull above the screen door, and you pull it open, and you walk in, and it's all these big leather booths and a piano bar right in the middle of the place, and uh, very, 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 very pricey. 
Mm-hmm. And they only had three entrees on the menu, a steak for $165, oh, oh my a steak for, I think it was 85 or $95, and market value fish. And so I, I paid $48 for a salmon. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. I yeah, love it. They had great drinks there, and it was a very special place, very different. Also opened very late. Yeah, okay. Which is unusual. They were serving, I think, until 1 a.m. Okay, all right, cool. John, we have to take a break. We want to talk to you about you and uh, uh, Chris Freeman Schneider. Had a great story in today's paper, Sounds of Summer, about all the you know, big concerts that are happening this summer, and we'd love to uh, catch up with you on those, too. Okay, and then I'm not working for the Tulsa Chamber of Commerce. I know. So. You should you today. Send them the you tape. Could. Right. <laughs> we'll be right back. John Green, we're levitating because you're here with us today. Of course, John, everything music for a long, long time. You know so much about everything. I mean, you did your own book about Dylan. That's amazing. Yes. Back in 2015. Yes, so good. Did you, you know, one last question about the Bob. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the new Bob Dylan Center, the BDC in Tulsa, and had an amazing uh, travel guide for for, that I think a lot of people are going to want to go to Tulsa. Did you learn anything really new about Bob Dylan? Because you did so much research on him and wrote the book. Um. Yeah, I, I think you you learn a little bit more about his sense of creativity mm-hmm. and how he lives in the moment and just the depth and breadth of and length of his creativity. You know, when you see some of the things from childhood um, that are going on there and, and uh, stuff that you, you're, you're just not aware of. And also, I don't think people realize how hard work um, creating music is when you see he does multiple multiple drafts of things and rewrites and and crosses things out and changes them. Of course, a lot of times he changes them on the fly. Right. But th- these were when he was recording them. And sometimes, you know, you can witness. Uh, there's some a place where you can listen to him in the studio, which to me is you know invaluable because you're like hearing someone create, and he'll give feedback to the producer or the musicians and how they should do it. Uh, you can listen to. The song Mississippi, he does four different versions of it. And you just, it gives you an open window into creativity, how his mind sort of works. I mean, I don't know that anyone will ever know how it works. Yeah. Very cool. You know, earlier when when I brought up Elvis, you were talking about Elvis Costello, and I was, of course, talking about Elvis Presley. And I just want to know if you know if this is true, and if I don't know if you know if this song is in the jukebox, but Tomorrow is a Long Time is an amazing song that Dylan wrote. And he, I can't remember where I read it, but he has said that Elvis Presley's version of Tomorrow is a Long Time, which I believe they used in that HBO, that documentary they did on Elvis, was his favorite cover because Elvis gave it like such a gospel tinge. Do you know about that story at all? Uh, I think I remember hearing that. That might have been when Dylan was in his gospel period. Okay. Um, in 79 through about 81 or 82, when mm-hmm. he was heavily into gospel music and, and made some gospel albums. Um, you know, and I imagine Dylan's answer about the, the favorite cover song is going to vary from time to time. Okay. Because there's been so many artists that have covered his, his things. Yeah. I All mean, right. he is a poet. Damn it, he writes a good song. Are you excited? Okay, so after, you know, a slow period in your job, going out and stuff with COVID, are you excited about how many events are happening in the Twin Cities musically this summer? 
Yeah, the schedule is absolutely jam-packed. <laughs> the story that we had in today's paper just covered outdoor concerts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't even get to mention some of the big indoor concerts, whether it be, uh, you know, Eric Church and Morgan Wallen at, at the Viking Stadium or Brandy Carlisle and her first uh, arena show here in the Twin Cities, Roger Waters, Rod Stewart. New kids on the block. Come on, you got to love the new kids. We're going. I are going. Absolutely, I'm. I'm a big fan of Donnie on the Donnie Wahlberg on the Blue Blood. Yes, I'm yes. More excited for that. Yes. Yeah. How about okay, John? So, um, like for you and Chris Riemann Schneider, I mean, how in the world with this much music this summer between the there's so many good free shows. We've got all these outdoor festival indoor. Do you guys? How do you? I'm just curious how you decide who covers what. Um, it, it varies on workload from week to week okay. and, you know, certain bands tend to fall into my camp. Some mm-hmm. fall into his camp. There's some that we both switch off on. Um, you know, like it'll, it might be, uh, my turn to cover Nickelback or his turn. When it <laughs> okay. Was I love it that that band that always comes up. <laughs> um, and then there's a few that we fight over that we both like. And so we'll, we'll flip it and, uh. But uh, it, it kind of sorts itself out, and, and a lot of it just depends on what you're doing that week, what's happening in your personal lives, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, um, how about what's going on with uh, anything Prince? Any any Prince news we need to know? Well, there's the mural that's in being painted down on the uh, Ramp A, downtown Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be unveiled next Thursday at 6 p.m., and it's a 100-foot mural on uh, on the wall of the, the parking ramp. And they raised, some people, uh, you know, arts people and, and Prince fans raised, it's going to cost a half a million dollars to, to pay for it all when you wow. talk about the, the artist, the design, the paint, the insurance, all of those things that go into preparing something like that. And then next week is celebration at Paisley Park. We went two years without celebration because of COVID, of course, and now we're going to have uh, two or three days of princely activities out there. There's panel discussions, there's performances by um, Brown Mark and Maserati. There's going to be a performance, um, one of those live-to-video things of the NPG with Prince at uh, at Glam Slam back in the day, and uh, panel discussions with... Uh, Various people like Jill Jones, Randy St. Nicholas, the photographer. So lots of lots of Prince activities going on. Yeah, I I need to uh, talk to you after we uh, after I, I got to find out how I get credentialed for that. You call the Tulsa Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> right. There you go, Lori. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, John, what's our first um, free outdoor uh, concert series? The first one that's free? Yeah. Is it is it Jazz Festival or is it the Lower Town uh, shows that start first? I think it must be the Jazz, the Lower Town Sounds, I think. Starts. Yeah, the Lower Town Sounds, which is a bunch of local bands. Um, you know, I think Monica LaPlante is playing uh, the New Standards, one of your favorite Fl- groups. Flamin' O's yes. all-time favorite, Lori. Yes, it is. Respect. That starts um, June 9th. That's Thursday nights. Um, Twin Cities Jazz Fest is at June 24th and 25th, mm-hmm. also in Mears Park. Right. So, yes. yeah, there, there's all kinds of fun activities. And then um, lots of other places, um, parks have music, like Excelsior has them in the park on one night every mm-hmm. week. Como Park, the zoo, Como yeah. Park yeah. has them. 
Um, so lot, lots of just, uh, you know, little regional neighborhood parks have them. Yeah, I know. That is so, that is one of the things that's so great in the summertime is, you know, they're over at um, Minnehaha Falls. I feel like there's music over there. Right. Bring your folding chair. Invest yep. in a folding chair. You can get them inexpensively and <sighs> take them around with you. It's nice to catch up with you, John Bream. From the Star Tribune, you can follow him at John Bream. Strabber, John, am I saying it right? John Bream. John yeah. Bream. Thank you for your time. We're All bo- right, keep rocking. We'll see you at some shows this summer. We'll see you soon. All right, we're going to take a quick break. This is Lori and Julia, always streaming live on mytalk1071.com. And you can take us with you wherever you go.